pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, band. Good morning once again. If you did not get a sermon outline, please raise your hands. We'll get one to you. Anybody need one? One over here. Anyone else? Online, you can get them in the chat section of Messenger there. Just one, that's it. Going once, going twice. Sold. Ah. Well, last week, we embarked on our summer series, Walking with Jesus. You know, there's a saying that if you want to know, but, but before you judge a person, you need to walk a mile in their shoes, right? You heard that saying? There was a commercial that they had on, oh, I don't know, about 10 years ago. It said, drive me mad. It was one of those investment company commercials. and It was a typical one that they do. And they quoted this, you know, if you want to know how, what it's like to be a person, walk a mile in their shoes. So I walked a mile in my shoes. I thought, how self-centered can you get? But there you go. But the idea is that, that to understand why people do the things they do, what they think, what they feel, how they behave, you have to be in their shoes. You have to see it from their perspective. And while we can never actually experience someone else's life, if you get close enough to them, if you spend enough time with them, if you ask the right questions, if you care enough, you can discover those things. But you've got to listen in such a way, you know, where, where you're listening to, to discover not just what they do, what they think or what they feel, but why. Why do they behave that way? Why do they think that way? Why do they feel? It's empathic. Understanding is such a powerful entity in a relationship, isn't it? I mean, you ever been in a relationship and you felt the person didn't understand you? That's frustrating. 40% of the ladies in the room just went, yeah. 40% is a conservative number. Do you know what the enemies of understanding are? This, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. I don't know where I've gone here. The enemies of understanding are apathy and assumption. Apathy is when you don't care what somebody else thinks, feels, or why they do. And, and assumption is almost worse. It's when you assume what they think, what they feel, and why they behave the way they behave. And it's very, very dangerous because you tend to respond to them based on what, you've, what you assume they feel. And I think most of us can, can remember a time when We've made an assumption about someone, and it was wrong, or somebody's made an assumption about us, and it was wrong. But if you want to get to know a person, walk with them. You know, last year, my wife and I started walking, and uh, we were going out twice a day, good walks, three miles a walk, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it, because sometimes you could be in the same house, and you're living in parallel, because life's busy, Right? I mean, our kids are all gone. We're empty nesters. But typically, if we sit down together, we're watching a movie. Or we go to the movies. Or she's got her tablet and she's doing something and I got mine and I'm doing something. We're in the same room and, and we're in parallel, but we're not connected. And then we started walking. And you talk to each other. Because there's nothing else. Your phone goes in the pocket. That's out of the way. And now we're talking. I, I, this... Kind of the inspiration for this is you need to walk with Jesus. You need to walk with one another. You want to get to know someone? Start walking. Now, I know it's getting hot. But I want to encourage you all. 
Start walking. Go to the mall. Do a mall walk. Now, here's the thing with the mall walk. (laughs) Yeah, you know. It's a walk, not a shop. You're not... Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. It's the walk. Anyway, we're, we're taking a walk with Jesus this summer. We want to get to know Jesus a little bit better because he knows us. He is the one who knows us the best. And we want to get to know him the best. And, and here's the thing I love about Jesus. Jesus gets it. You know, he came. God, it, oh, I don't know, I just had this thing in my mind to say, God become a man. God steps out of heaven. Steps out of eternity, steps out of paradise, and becomes a man. He comes to live with us. He doesn't just beam down. It's not like Star Trek, you know, where he beams down. He's kind of God already, and he walks for a little bit with us. See how it is? No, he came down. He was born a baby. He experienced the whole human experience from birth to death. And, and, And this, to me, it just, it's like, wow, God gets it. Jesus gets it. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just as we are. And to me, that's a comfort because I know one day I'm going to stand in front of him and there's going to be this thing of my life and there's a whole bunch of bonehead things in there. But I know Jesus experienced temptation. He knows what it's like. And and while he might not approve of the things that we've done or the way that we've responded to situations, I really think he's going to look at it. I get it. I understand what that temptation is like. I know where you were. You could have done this, you know. I gave you a way out, but you didn't take it. But I get it. He gets it. He knows us better than anybody knows us. And we need to know him better than we know anybody else. So that, I don't know, that, that's, that's, that's what this is all about. So let's start with a word of prayer. You know, we began the series last week, but I want to just invite you into a prayer. And just pray along for yourself to invite Jesus on a walk with you this summer. Jesus, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you more. I don't want to know a little bit about you. I want to know you the way you know me. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Father, that he came down, was born a baby, lived his whole life here, experienced humanity the exact same way that we experience humanity, was tempted in every way, had high moments, he had low moments, he had good moments, he had bad moments, he experienced anger, he experienced laughter. He experienced everything so that he could know what we experience. And Father, as we get into this series this summer, I pray for each and every one of us, Father, those that are online, those that are in the room with us right now. Father, we want to go on a walk with Jesus. Father, would you open up our hearts so that we can know him the way you know us. Know his emotions, know his feelings, know his perspective, know his view on things, know his mercy, know his grace. Know his chastisement if necessary. Father, I'm just praying on behalf of all of us. We want to know Jesus. So take us on a walk this summer, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book that we're going to use for this walk is is the Gospel of Luke. 
not exhaustively, and I'm not going to start at verse 1. We started last week. I'm going to kind of cherry-pick my way through it, and, but we'll be branching out to some of the other Gospels. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me teach that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three Gospels that they're called complementary Gospels. They, there are a lot of verses, that, a lot of accounts and verses that cross over from each one. So it's great to have those three because you get a more complete picture of an event. John is what is called a supplementary gospel. We don't even know if John knew the other three existed when he wrote his gospel. It's from a completely different perspective. Also last week, I shared with you that theologians, when they look at all four gospels, and when you match up, you know, this event is in this gospel, this gospel, so it's the same event, we actually only know about 51 days of Christ's three-year ministry here on earth. So 95% of the time that Jesus was in ministry on earth, we don't know what he was doing. We don't know what he says. We know we got just 5%. So that's why when you're looking at these gospels, that sometimes things seem a little bit mixed up, a little bit muddled, because it's from this perspective, and there's a whole bunch of blank that's not filled in. So that's just a little bit of history for you. Now, if you weren't here last week, you can go to our website, Lakeway Online, or go to um, our Facebook page. You can download those messages. So we're going to Luke chapter 5 today, and we're going to look at the, at the call of the disciples. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him. To listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowd from there. Now, just to give you a little bit of perspective, and I like, I like history, I like geography. The Sea of Galilee is about 40% bigger than Lake Louisville. So from end to end, it's about 12 miles long. It's about seven miles wide. It's kind of like an upside-down teardrop. So, but it's deep. It's about 141 feet deep. Now, these boats, um, they were good-sized boats. How do we know that? Because back in 1986, there was a drought in the area, and the Sea of Galilee dropped. And when it dropped, this fishing boat began to appear in the mud right in the vicinity of Capernaum, where Jesus based his ministry, where this event would have happened. And they managed to pull it out, and uh, two archaeologists from Texas dated, carbon dated that right back to Jesus' day. It's pretty cool. You can see it's about 27 feet long, so, gosh, I don't know, 27 feet, what's that here? Two, four, six, eight, ten. It'll be probably from that second pillar to that pillar there, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, maybe the third one over. Seven and a half feet wide and about 4.3 feet high. That's just that thing. You know, when it was complete, it would be a bit bigger. So it's a decent-sized boat. Now, we don't know if that's the kind of boat that these guys were fishing in, but it's most likely. They were commercial fishermen. So they weren't going out in a little rowboat. They, they most likely used this kind of, of boat. Now, this event on the shore may seem like a random encounter. But Jesus knew these guys. He already knew them. This is not the first time that they've met. 
In fact, if you go up to chapter 4, if you've got your Bible, in verse 38, it says, After leaving the synagogue that day, so Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, Jesus went to Simon's home. So this is prior to this on the beach. Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. That'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Fever, out of here. How do you talk to a fever? It's, I don't know. I just. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. She served them. Now, three things we learn from that little passage of Scripture. Number one, Peter was married. He's got a mother-in-law. That goes with a wife, right? If you've got a wife, you've got a mother-in-law. God bless them. <laughs> My mother-in-law's a really nice lady. <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture is Peter's wife mentioned. He didn't get a mention. This is as close as we got. He's got a mother-in-law. His wife doesn't get mentioned. So we learn that Peter's married. That's kind of interesting to me. Second thing we learn, Jesus and Peter already had a close relationship. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He goes over to Peter's house for dinner. And mom's sick. Fix up mom, she can cook. I mean, that's basically what happened here. Or his mother-in-law. So he's going over to Peter's house for dinner. So they know each other well. So this is before the beach. Or the shore. Third thing, they expected Jesus to be able to heal her. So they know what Jesus is doing. They know the power of Jesus. He's teaching in the synagogue, going over to Peter's house for, for dinner, mother-in-law sick. Hey, Jesus, could you just do us a favor? We need someone to do the dishes. Could you fix her? I mean, that's basically what the scripture is saying. It's really bad, but that's what it is. All right, back down to chapter 5. So Jesus didn't get into just anybody's fishing boat. He knew these guys. Peter is his friend. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now, this talks about the relationship that Peter's got with Jesus. He called him master. Now, when you look in the Greek word, that, that word master in, in our modern vernacular could very, be, very easily be boss. Hey, boss. We're working all night. We're tired. But you know what? If you say so, we're going to go out and do it. it. It talks about the relationship that Peter's got with Jesus. He already sees Jesus as someone who is superior in some way. And, you know, Jesus doesn't know anything about fishing. He's not a fisherman. Paul, Peter knows more about fishing than he does. But Jesus says, go. And he says, okay. Now, Put yourself in, in Peter's shoes. If you, if you want to walk with Jesus, they've been working all night. This is what they do for a living. They haven't caught a thing. They're tired. Jesus gets in the boat. They've washed the nets. They've stowed everything. They've put everything away. They're about to, to head home, and Jesus gets in the boat. And he says, put out a little way. So then they listen to Jesus. Jesus preaches a sermon. I wonder how long he went. I wonder if he went over. So they're tired. He's in their boat. So they're captive audience. Jesus preaches. We don't know how long. Maybe it's two hours. And they're listening to him. 
It gets to the end and they're thinking, oh, I can go home and get something to eat. And he says, ah, let's head on out to deep water. Are you serious, Jesus? Okay. But I love what Jesus said. You've you got to catch the little things here. Let down your nets to catch some fish. It's absolute. There, there's no question here. He didn't say, hey, let's go on out and see if we can catch something. He said, we're going out, let down your nets to catch some fish. We're going to get some fish, guys. I'm with you. We guarantee it. Let's head on out. There must have been something in in Peter that knew that. All right. And I I doubt, very rarely. You know, these are professional fishermen. They, They know how to fish. They know where to fish. They know when to fish. It's probably not very often that they come back empty handed. But on this night, coincidence? We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 6, it says, In this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the other boat. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. So you've got this boat that's that big, seven and a half feet wide, this high, with so much fish in it. It's sinking. And then the other boat is exactly the same. I mean, can you imagine what these guys are thinking? It's like, whoa. Can you come tomorrow? (laughs) When Simon, I love this. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, and the sons of Zebedee, were also, the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. There was an instant, undeniable recognition from Peter of what just happened here. He knows why these boats are filled with fish. This has not, nothing to do with our skill as fishermen and everything to do with the guy in the boat with us. And what a strange reaction. I mean, most of us would be, you're planning what you're going to do with the money. I get that tablet I've been wanting. I can, this is good. Peter's instant reaction is shame. I'm with Jesus. He was humble. And the reason, I I think the reason for that when you hear about the activity of God's, God in someone's life, it's kind of like, wow. But when you experience the power of God in your life, it's wow. For him, he felt unworthy. Probably the most appropriate response that you could have. I'm with Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. You have no idea. I'm going to use unworthy, untrained, sinful you to build my kingdom. That would take you out of your comfort zone, wouldn't it? Peter had no idea that he would become a history maker. He had no idea that 2,000 years later, we're telling this story. 
of them being in the boat and experiencing Jesus and the catch. And, and, and the wonderful thing about this is, is when we surrender our lives to God, to the Lord, like Peter did, the number of people that he impacted for Jesus as a fisher of men far outnumbered the number of fish in those boats. He could have no idea. Jesus had a plan for Peter's life that far exceeded anything that Peter could imagine. And let me tell you something. Doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual walk here, you could be walking with Jesus for years. Jesus, the Lord, still has a plan for your life that far exceeds anything that you can imagine. All right. Let's get to this thing. Have I given you anything on here yet? (laughs) Three steps. (laughs) We have three steps. How do we get onto God's agenda for our lives? That's what we're talking about. Three steps. Step number one, you must give the Lord your full attention. You've got to give the Lord your full attention. It cannot be divided. It says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, push it out into the water. He, he got Simon's attention. Quit doing what you're doing, Peter. Let's get out. And he had him as a captive audience. Now, how does God get our attention? Well, typically, there are two ways. Sometimes the Lord uses adversity to get your attention. Peter said, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Sometimes the Lord allows hardship in our lives to get our attention. We always assume, or mostly we assume, that hardship comes from Satan. But sometimes hardship actually comes from Jesus. He's trying to get our attention, and and it's hard to get our attention sometimes. Now, how different would this story be? Let's just rework this story. How different would this story be if they had caught that bumper catch of fish the night before? Before Jesus got in the boat, how would that change the story? So they've been blessed abundantly. They, they bring the boats in. They've got two boats stacked with fish. Jesus is teaching on the shore just like this. Crowd's so big, they're pressing on Jesus. He needs a platform. He goes over to Peter, says, gets in Peter's boat and says, um, can, we, can we go out a little bit? I need to kind of get back a bit here so I can teach the crowd. Peter's busy. You know what, Jesus? I'd love to help you out, man. But look at all these fish. <laughs> Got to get these fish to market, Jesus. I mean, we, we prayed. We prayed. We prayed that, you would, that, that, that God would be with us. And we prayed for a great catch. And the Lord blessed us. And we got all these fish. Love to help you out, Jesus. But man, we got to get this stuff to market. And here's the reality. You can't leave fish in the sun, right? They go bad real quick. They didn't have ice. They couldn't ice them. And the gulls, gosh, you know, coming from England, if you've ever lived on the coast, the gulls are relentless. They, they would have been swooping down trying to get those fish. These guys got all these fish and the gulls are... And it makes such a noise. And flies. We don't think about this stuff, do we? You know, you got this nice seaside scene with Jesus there. Flies. Gulls. And it, and it stinks. And it's relentless. 
It's not a glamorous job. And Jesus comes along and says, hey guys, can you put out a little bit here? I need to use the boat, need to teach. And they're like, no, we got to get this stuff to market, man. I don't know if they have a wheelbarrow. They probably got a chest or something. They load the fish in there and they take it up to the market. And, and it's legitimate. It's what these guys do for a living. You can't walk away from a bumper catch like that, can you? I mean, it's crazy. Now, I don't believe it was a coincidence by any stretch of the imagination that they didn't catch any fish that night. The Lord wanted to get their attention. Not all hardship comes from Satan. Sometimes it comes from the Lord. He wants to get our attention. I'll bet he had an angel scaring the fish away. I don't want these guys to get any fish tonight. Maybe it had been a couple of nights they haven't got any fish. They're really worried. That gets your attention, isn't it? In adversity, we tend to call on the Lord. Oh, God, we ain't got any fish for a couple of nights. I don't know what we're going to do. Kids are getting hungry. Wife's getting hungry. Mother-in-law's just, she's sick again. We need a doctor. God, would you help us out? He's got their attention. Now, a little caveat here. That doesn't mean that God is the author of everything that is difficult in our lives. We live in a broken world and we're broken people. But sometimes God does bring adversity to us to get our attention. And sometimes God will use the adversity that just happens in life to get our attention. So that's one way. Second way, sometimes the Lord uses blessing to get our attention. Now I got your attention, right? Preach it, pastor. I like this one. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. So sometimes the Lord uses adversity and hardship to get our attention. Sometimes the Lord uses blessing to get our attention. Ultimately, he's trying to get our attention. I want you to pay attention to me. I want you to listen to me. Now, why does the Lord want to get our attention? Because he has a better plan for our life than we have for our life. Now, let me ask a question here. If God's going to get your attention, which of the two options would you prefer? Blessings? Most of us would say blessings, right? But the truth is, we don't call on the Lord so much out of our blessings. We call on the Lord out of our adversities. We thank the Lord for our blessings, but sometimes our blessings get in the way. So if they had caught those fish the night before, Jesus is trying to get their attention. He wants to do something in their lives. Hey, God, I'm too busy, man. I got to take care of this stuff. You blessed me. Thank you. I got to take care of this. When we've done that, I'll have some time for you. That ever happen in your life? I'm just a little too busy for you, God. Thank you for the blessing of these children. I love these children. What a great blessing. And when they're grown up, I'll be back. (laughs) Here's the problem. If you sincerely want to get onto God's agenda for your life, it's step two. You must be willing to leave whatever holds you back. You must be willing to walk away from whatever holds you back, whatever gets in the way. Verse 11, it says, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed 
Jesus. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? These guys had to walk away from the biggest blessing that they had probably had to follow Jesus. And here's why. They understood. Peter got it. He knew, I'll bet you he knew, the reason we didn't catch any fish last night is because the Lord can withhold that from us. And the reason that we got fish when Jesus was on the boat, because the Lord can bless us with it. The Lord's in charge of it. He can withhold, he can give. Best place for me to be? With the Lord. I can stay with the blessing or I can stay with the Lord. I got the choice. Who's the author of the blessing? The Lord. That's where I need to stay. You got to love the blesser more than the blessing. Step three, you must be willing to answer the Lord's call. Pretty straightforward. You must choose to follow Jesus. It is a conscious choice. As soon as they had landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, how are we doing for time? Before you fall into the trap of thinking that these guys were super spiritual, you've got to know the rest of the story. They're not as spiritual as you might think they are. They're really not that much different than us. This was not actually the first time that Jesus called these guys. This was the third time that Jesus called these guys. Now, like I said, anytime you're looking at the Scripture... You got all kinds of interpretations and somebody's going to say, well, it means this or it means that. Somebody, Frank, came to me last week. He sent me a text, said, you're here somewhere, Frank, aren't you? There he is back there. He said, well, Mark was the, the first gospel. That can't be true. Cannot be true. And Matthew, Matthew got his gospel from Mark. Why would Matthew, an eyewitness, go to somebody else to get his gospel? Makes no sense. But there's always a different perspective. You can go online, you can find a different perspective. But this was not the first time that these guys were called by Jesus. If you go to John chapter 1, verse 35, John the Baptist is walking along. John the Baptist has got some of his followers who become Jesus' followers. And here's the conversation. It says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. Here's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. See you later, John. We're going to the big guy. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him for the rest of the day. So they spend the day with him. Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the chosen one. We have found the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. So this meeting on the beach is old news. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this very first meeting, Jesus changes his name to Rock. He's already painted a future. Peter's probably thinking, well, 
But this first encounter, Jesus is already saying to him, there's a plan for you. There's a brand new plan for you, Peter. What does Peter do? He goes back fishing. Just like the rest of us. Matthew chapter 4 says, One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they, were fished, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. This is a different event. This is not the same event. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Almost the same thing, right? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me. Yep, we're in. But they go back fishing. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. That was the second call. Different event. Jesus calls them. They respond. But somewhere along the line, they went back to their old way. They went back to fishing. And now Jesus sees them again on the shore of Galilee. And he's preaching. He wasn't talking to them. He's preaching. The crowd is pushing in. Yeah, these guys here. I've been talking to these guys for a while. Hey, Peter, let's let's get in the boat here, man. Jesus has got his attention now. We're going to go out a little bit. You can't get away from me. You're going to listen to me. And then we're going to go out there and you're going to experience something that is going to change your life. So this event in Luke isn't a calling, it's a recall. A total recall. They left behind everything to follow Jesus and what a life they lived. Sometimes we need to do a recall. I think most people in this room, probably everybody in this room can remember a time where they stop and say, God, I want to be yours. I want to follow you. I want to be wholly devoted to you, God. And then life starts to happen. And off, go off a little bit. And maybe come back for a while. And then life happens and you go off a bit. And maybe come back for a little while. And then life happens and you go off a bit. And maybe, and Jesus keeps recalling and recalling and recalling. All right, I'm going to finish up here. You ever had a recall? With your car? (sighs) I got one here. I've had this for a while. They keep calling me. You know the airbag thing? I have a Toyota. My wife has a Honda. My other daughter has a Toyota. My other daughter had a Honda. All of this airbag stuff affects Toyotas and Hondas. Every single one of them needed a recall. So I took my car in for the recall. It's inconvenient, right? You've got to take time out of your day. You're busy. You have to go take your car in. And it's one of those recalls. It's about two hours. It's not worth getting a car rental. So you're sitting in the dealership for two hours while they work on your car. It's inconvenient. It, it's... Ugh. And you know they're going to give you bad news because they're not just going to do the recall. They're coming back with a little bit of paper. Mr. Bishop, we've looked at your car. (laughs) We're amazed that you got here. (laughs) My car has got 200 and something thousand miles on it. You need everything. We're thinking that if we lift off the... uh, 
the radiator cap, you pull the car out under, we put another one on and drop that thing back on there. That's all you need to replace. I hate recalls. It's time-consuming. It's inconvenient. You know they're going to give you bad news. And I've got four cars. But it's necessary. What really sickened me about it is that wasn't enough. They did the fix, and then they said, oh, that fix is not good enough, Mr. Bishop. There's another recall. Now, that was just a temporary part. And I've been ignoring this stupid recall to the point where they're writing on them. (laughs) We know you have the car. (laughs) It's dangerous. (laughs) Whoever's in that passenger seat could die. Bring your car in, idiot. Signed, Jessica Brown, (laughs) airbag recall team. (laughs) I'm getting personal letters from Toyota. (laughs) Sometimes we need a recall. Sometimes we need a spiritual recall. It's inconvenient. We know it's going to be bad news. Get to sit with Jesus. We've been looking at your car, man. We've been looking at you. There's a few heart conditions here that need to be dealt with. So four R's I've got for you there, right? How to respond to the Lord's recall. The first one, you've got to repent. That means you change your thinking about it. I don't want to take my car back in. But the reality is, every time my wife gets in my car, she's in danger. If we get in an accident and that airbag goes off, they've written to me half a dozen times, this might kill the person in your seat. But there's this stupid mentality, oh, that's not going to happen. You've got to change your thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. It's dangerous not to follow Jesus. It's not good for you not to follow Jesus. Second one is you've got to refocus. What is your catch of fish? What's that thing in your life that has your attention more than Jesus has your attention? And it could well be a blessing from Jesus. But it's got your attention. And if you want to recall and refollow Jesus, if you want to get back to where you need to be, you've got to be able to refocus away from that. The second one, you return. I choose your way, Jesus. I want to get back to you. Do you remember that verse? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's at the top of my prayer list. I have a number of verses I pray for before I pray, and that's one of them. And then the last one is revive. Pursue the calling. It's fresh air. It's new life. No matter how good the catch is, it stinks. There are flies. There are goals. It's going off. It's not as good as what Jesus Christ has for you. But it's coming to that place in our life where we say, you know what? I need a recall. I need a recommitment in my life. I need to get regenerated, God. I need you fresh. I need you new. I don't want to be in neutral. And I don't want to be one foot in and one foot out. I want to be completely in. That's the beginning of the walk. Jesus, I want to walk with you. If you want to walk with Jesus, you've got to move, right? Because if you're not moving... 
Jesus is gone. Do you want to walk with Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, I thank you that you are a God that gets it. You know our failings. You know our weaknesses. You know our desires. You know our passions. Sometimes we're on fire. Sometimes we're not so much. And sometimes we need a recall. We need to be reignited. To follow you wholeheartedly. Sometimes, Father... I'm sure there are people here that were were red hot at some point. They were on the track. They were going in the right direction. And and a great big catch of fish or something happened. And their attention moved away from you onto something else. But in their heart, there's a yearning. I want to get back to Jesus. I want to get back to his way. And if that's you this morning, you can just simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus. I need you back in my life. I want to walk with you. I don't want to just be in parallel with you, Father. Shut up. I want to be with you. Draw me close to you. Set my eyes on you. And you dictate my path. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry about the timer. (laughs) That was to remind me of one announcement that we've got here. Hey, I've got a few announcements here this morning. Promise Keepers. Coming up July 16th and 17th at Arlington Stadium. Now, this is an event that they were going to put on last year, but something happened last year. What was that again? COVID, that was it. And uh, we bought a whole bunch of tickets. Now, these tickets are $129 each for the event. It is an absolutely awesome event. But guys, I'm sorry ladies, just like the mother-in-law thing, it's a guy's thing. And we've got those tickets from last year and we're going to let people have them for $50. So it's a good deal. We've got, how many left? About 17 or so? 17, And you're getting sign-ups and, and they need to see um, Bob. Is Bob here? No, Paul? Is Paul here? No, Hector. (laughs) Let me tell you something. If you've never been to a Promise Keepers event, my wife would send me to it. She just raised her hand. She knows where I'm going. I tell you what, I'm not kidding you not. Every time I go to a Promise Keepers event, I come back changed. I come back different. She's sending me. You go, because there's something about when all these guys get together, their focus is on the Lord. There's a power there. It's life-changing. So if you've never been to one, see Hector, because we'd like you to go. And what we do, we carpool. We, we make an event out of it, and it's awesome. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up on the 19th and the 23rd. You can go online and register. There's a QR code out there at the station. There's a QR code online, I believe. If there's not, there will be soon. Um, Invite people. Let's not just have our kids go to vacation Bible school. You all have friends. Invite people. It's going to be a great vacation Bible school. And last week, we had our 101 membership class, and I had a whole bunch of people, and I have membership certificates right here for those people. So I want to welcome some people into membership this morning. Sorry, Sandra. I told you I would give you a heads up. This is going to go real quick. 
I've got a whole bunch more people. Oh, I didn't bring the certificates. Oh, here they are. And we've got more people that are going to be signed into membership next week, but I don't have their paperwork yet. This is awesome. I love this. Here she comes. So let's do Alex first. Miss Alex Larson, who, who grew up in this church with her mom and dad. Dad serves back there. Mom's up here singing. And uh, we've seen Alex grow from a little creature. I remember sitting on a sofa at Alex's house. England played this morning, just mentioning, in the Euros. With England scarves, cheering England on. I like this girl. <laughs> so, Alex, it is my pleasure to welcome you into membership at Lakeway. Now go do something. <laughs> All right, who's here? That uh, Brad, is Brad here? Come on up, Brad. Where are you? I hear you. Hector. Come on up and present Brad this certificate, would you? Hector is one of our elders, and he lives across the road. I'm sorry, Brad. Hector lives across the road from Brad. And um, he has been so instrumental in Brad's life, and it's been so neat for us to see how God has worked in your life. And, and in the time they've known each other, Brad has come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's got baptized here. And now he is a member. Welcome to membership. Congratulations. All right, I'm trying to get these. Brandon. Brandon's working. We'll do Brandon next week. Philip and Deanna. Philip and Deanna came to Lakeway. I think it was Deanna's first week last week. May have been in the past. Um, we know Deanna from a long time ago. She's uh, my daughter Rachel's friend. We drove Deanna to graduation. Don't know if she remembers that. And then Philip, Flip, Flip came a few. He came to a, a, a memorial service that we had, and thought exactly what we preached today. I had coffee with him. He said, "I got to get back to Jesus, and I need to serve." He's a musician. So they came last week. We had 101. They went to 101. They filled out the form and said, yeah, we're in. So, Deanna, welcome to membership. Thank you. Flip, welcome to membership. We haven't... Come out, you get a photograph. Should we tell them now or later? Later. Off you go. <laughs> Next week, we've got more people we're going to welcome into membership. God is good, isn't he? I mean, it, that, that, to me, that's commitment. That's people saying, you know what? We come here. This is our church. We want to serve here. And that's what membership is all about. We're part of what God is doing at Lakeway. So thank you all. Please stand. Let me dismiss you all. Into the heat. 13, 20. I think next Sunday is the first day of summer. Sunday or Monday. I can't remember. What's going on this week? Anything happening? No, I don't hear from any of you then. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks. I thank you for what you're doing here at Lakeway, Father. I thank you for these new members that have decided to partner with us, to commit to us. And I know we've got 
uh, four or five more next week that, that have made the same decision. Father, I thank you. I pray your blessing upon each and every one of them, Father, as they come to serve you, that it would be a blessing as they serve you here at Lakeway. And Father, as we go from here now, I pray that you would just pour out your blessing, just like you did with these fishermen. But that we would not be selfish with your blessing, Father, that we would share it with everybody that we meet. May we be blessed so that we may be a blessing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One last thing. You've got to go over and shake these people's hands and give them a hug because they got married here yesterday. Thank you all. Take